I'm Charlie Wilmot. I'm David Todd. And welcome to the Bucks Dugout Podcast. Welcome to the Bucks Dugout Podcast. I'm Charlie Wilmoth here with David Todd. David, how was your holiday weekend? Good holiday weekend. Uh, you know, it's maybe maybe it's uh, cliche to say it, but I, I like saying it. My dad was a uh, served served our country, and I appreciate all the people who did that stuff. Uh, had a good time going out, having a barbecue, doing some fun stuff yesterday. I hope you got a chance to do some of the same. Yeah, you know, I saw some fireworks, and we definitely saw some fireworks this weekend against Houston as well. Wow. It was really a wow. Tuesday night was uh, a lot of fun. I was with a friend in a bar watching the game. And Charlie, I'll tell you what's different. And, and you and I have, have become a little bit more optimistic here uh, over the last couple of weeks as the bats have been so good. The pitching has been not quite as good, but the bats have been so good uh, that it's been fun to watch. And, you, you know, you watch it's fun to watch the Pirates play a team like Houston and see all the dumb mistakes be made by the other team for a change. I mean, you know, for years we've seen the Pirates throw to the wrong base, not run the bases properly, not get down sacrifice punts. We saw so many dumb moves by the Astros. But I think more importantly, from the Pirates side of things, watching all three of these games that they've played so far going into the, the series finale tonight uh, on Thursday – the Pirates are behind in all three of these games, and not once. Even uh, in the Tuesday night game when they were down 6-2, I never felt like they were out of it. I felt like they were going to come back in every game, certainly the first uh, the first and the last where they were just behind a run or two early. But even in that game Tuesday night, you felt like uh, you felt like the Pirates were, had enough time and they've been hitting the ball so well, and, and they did. And here we sit at the midpoint of the season, Charlie, 81 games, nine games over 500. I mean, it, it's got to put a smile on your face, and, and at some level it's kind of got to make you laugh a little bit, right? Absolutely, and, and I think you're right to note the differences between the Pirates and Astros and how instructive that can be at this point in the season. You know, we've been kind of skeptical of the Pirates at various points this season, and I think to a degree I'm still more skeptical probably than, than you know, a lot of Bucks dugout readers but at the same time, I mean, you, you watch the Astros, and this is pretty much what the Pirates used to look like. This is what the Pirates used to look like a couple of years ago. Um, and for the most part, you know, the Pirates aren't, aren't doing the same things the Astros are doing. They're not running out these, you know, these starting pitchers like this guy who pitched yesterday. What's his name? Keuchel, uh, you know, who's a you know, lefty who throws 88 miles an hour. I mean, they're, they're, they're not really doing that they're not really making mistakes like the one jd martinez made the other day you know this looks like a much better team than the astros we know the astros are a bad team but we're used to the pirates falling down around that level too and it's clear that at this point this team is not like that right and i you know continue to harp on the simple fact that if you want to be a good team you have to beat the bad teams and and, and uh I, I think i talked about this on on the radio show and i'll, I'll shamelessly plug again that i'm on hosting on 970 ESPN today, tomorrow, and for the next two weeks, 4 to 7. Tons of baseball talk. Charlie will be on with me tomorrow at some point during 4 to 7, so you'll have that to look forward to. Uh, but, Charlie, it is. You've got to beat the bad teams. And it, it just simply, if you play the Astros 16 times mm -hmm. and, you can, and you can go 13 and 3, you're 10 games over 500. If you go 13 and 3 against the Astros, that means if in your, uh, you know, in your other 146 games, if you just go 73 and 73, well, you know, you're still 10 games over 500. You know, that puts you at, at where, you know, if I'm doing my math right here, just on the top of my head, uh, it puts you at, at uh, eight, what, 84 
and 70, uh, 74. So no, that's not right. 85, 86 and 76. So if, if you're 86 and 76 in, in the, with this division, you're going to be in the, in the race and with two wild card spots, you know, you're going to be in the race. So if, you, if the pirates are able to pound these bad teams, they're going to stay in this race all year long, because I think the number is they have 40% of their games the rest of the season against the Astros, Cubs, Rockies, and Padres. That's yeah. A, it's, oh. it's a wonderfully soft schedule. And I, I guess, I, you know, I kind of underplayed the toughness of the Pirates' schedule at the beginning of the season, but we're now seeing the consequences of that. That really was a relevant detail, as it turns out, because as we sit now, the Pirates are, uh, what, nine games above 500, and they have a very easy schedule the rest of the way. We'll see if they can sweep the Astros uh, later today. The the, Pir- the Astros are running out uh, Bud Norris, who is the, the best pitcher they've the Pirates have seen in this series, but it might have seemed like a more fearsome matchup uh, you know, when the Pirates weren't hitting tons and tons of homers every game and, you know, in, in a stretch where Norris hadn't given up seven home runs in his last four starts. So even this game looks very winnable. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Uh, here's another little piece, uh, Charlie, when we talk about this stuff is uh, Carlos Lee got traded last night. And so, you know, the Pirates obviously won't face him tonight. Uh, that's a that's a positive for the he, he went from the Astros to the Marlins. Now we'll play the Marlins, but we play the Astros more times than the Marlins. But we play the Cubs a bunch of times. And we you want to just talk about one small thing that might work out in the Pirates favor here is the Cubs two starting pitchers in Garza and Marte Garza and, uh, and Dempster are going to be on the block. And I don't imagine they'll be gone by the time the Pirates play them right after right after the break. But later, when the Pirates get them in August and September, those two guys aren't going to be starters for them. I'm virtually certain. Yeah, I mean, if 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 they just lose Garson and Dempster, I mean, their their best starting pitcher is you know maybe Mahalam. I I don't know. I mean, so yeah, that look that could be a Samarja Samarja. Right. I, yeah, I guess you could say him too. But. Um, yeah, that's that's not much of a rotation. And and again, this is something that we, we can look at the Cubs situation and compare it to the Pirates of years past when they were the ones trading away a lot of talent and they completely fell apart down the stretch. So we can see how th- these are going to be very appetizing series for the Pirates, assuming they continue to stay in the race. So, Charlie, as we talk about this, we since you and I have done a podcast, we, we, the Pirates have made this mood, move with Jose Tabata. And it's clear it's a performance and an effort thing, whether he's got leg issues. I don't really buy the Pirates think he, have leg, he has leg issues because I think he played uh, 26 games in June. And if the Pirates really thought he was injured, they'd sit him down or they would have DL'd him just like they did with Barajas for this past week. So it's clearly an effort thing or, or you know, and, and or a performance thing. And so now the, the makeup of the team is a little different. Starling Marte didn't come up, and, you know, Dayon's written that he's definitely coming up. And, you know, I imagine at some point he is going to come up, but he's not coming up right now, particularly with the team hitting it like they are. I'm sure when they, want, when they bring him up, they want to play him every day. But how do you think this playing time is going to be divided? We, we're waiting on news about Alex Presley, who had some, a whiplash issue on Tuesday night. Uh, maybe has a concussion. They have this seven-day DL situation now, a new thing. If you have a concussion, you can go on the seven-day DL, which would pretty much just bring him back after the All-Star break. Today would be game two. The three against the Giants would be five, and then he'd be fine. So it wouldn't shock me if they do that. So he's in good shape. But what do you think? And Presley's been pretty good lately. But what are you thinking about how the Pirates manage these corner outfield positions over the next couple weeks and then the first third base uh, catcher situation? Well, they've shown they're not going to play Gorgis Hernandez. Uh, if, if they were going to, we would have seen him yesterday. But they, they just don't have very many outfielders left on the roster. I mean, 
they, they're starting Drew Sutton right now. I guess they're probably they're going to have to continue to do that until they they call up Marte, which which should hopefully be very soon. But when I see that, I mean, I know he's hit well, uh, he's hit very well. But I, I just think of you know a few years ago there was there was an article on the Astros in uh, the, a baseball prospectus annual, and the Astros have won 86 games this year. This was this was three or four years ago. But you know, at one point they were running out a lineup of that included like uh, Jose Castillo and Jeff Blum and you know all these guys who are kind of marginal major league players. And you you look at that lineup and you think, okay, this might be working right now. But you have to take a look at this objectively. You you cannot give Drew Sutton 100 at bats in the outfield the rest I, of the season. I could give him 100 at bats right now until he goes you know 0 for 12. History shows that this is not the real Drew Sutton. I, I think the sooner the Pirates acknowledge that, the better, especially since he's going to end up killing them on defense as well. He certainly uh, did. He, you know, that uh, that Tuesday night game, it, it, we didn't really go into the details, but as wonderful as it was, you're right. Sutton was tough out there in right field. Uh, it was awfully nice to have, you know, the joy of him coming around first base is, uh, and, and I think it's a great question. Which, which was, uh, which was more joyful for you? The crazy Michael McHenry, three-run homer last year at PNC off of Carlos Marmel uh, for a walk-off win, or Drew Sutton's almost as unlikely uh, walk-off homer there Tuesday night? Great question. Oh, wow. That's a tough one. They're they're both really good. I, I might actually take the Sutton one just because it's so tied up with, you know, who he was personally and the, the life he's been sort of leading as a minor league journeyman and the, the, the excitement that you could see on his face as he rounded the bases. That would probably be my pick. What about you? Yeah, uh, you know, uh, the minor league journeyman thing, it's hard, hard not to kind of look at McHenry in much the same light. So I don't know if I put it in that. I guess yeah, that's I, true. I guess I probably would just say Sutton since it's this year and it's, uh, you know, we know what happened last year. So at the end of the day, the, the home run by McHenry really had no significance. But you feel like uh, even though Sutton's is it's early enough in the season that it's hard to look at it as big picture significance. Here the Pirates are um, at the mid, mid midway point of the season in first place. So I'll take this one. And it's also I was with uh, a pretty girl in a bar and, and, and you know. <laughs> So, so I had that going for me. Yeah, that always does it. And just to be clear here, I'm I'm not I'm not meaning to pick on Drew Sutton. I think if they want to use him as you know a backup infielder, a guy who plays second and third and pinch hits, great. I'm just saying he's he's not a starting outfielder, and the, the Pirates need to do you know something to address that. If Presley's situation, you never I guess you, he's supposed to be back fairly soon, but you never really know with concussions. If if Presley's situation turns out to be worse than expected. You know, that, that could create problems even if they do bring up Marte. So it's just something to think about. He's Sutton's not a corner outfielder, um, and, and the Pirates need to do something to address that at, at some point soon. Yeah, I think that's right, and I think that's totally fair. I, you know, this whole thing about he needs work and he needs reps in right field. I, no. I'm a little surprised. At, I think you pointed it out uh, on, on BucksDogout.com, and I think it was exactly right. It's, first of all, playing – this is not like playing shortstop versus, you know, playing left field and right field is different than playing center field. But if if, uh, if Martez is good defensively, this shouldn't be that big a deal. And he's going to get some starts here and right. But I don't think that's the driving factor. But a lot of people are pointing to say, you know, he hasn't played games at a higher level up, at, you know, in the corners. But, uh, that, does, know. that doesn't matter. That just it, doesn't it, matter. 
big deal. Jose Tabata moved from left to right. He moved these guys back and forth all the time. You know, take twenty, take a hundred fly balls in BP and and be done with it. But yeah, so I yeah, I'm with you that 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 doesn't matter. Let me let me ask. Well, I you. mean, you, you put it in perspective. I mean, they have Drew Sutton starting in right field right now, and right. it's supposed to matter that Starling Marte, who's a very gifted outfield <laughs> defender, has not played there before. That's the reason for not calling him up. I I mean, I know that's what Dayon said the other day, but I, that just does not seem right to me. Yeah, so, well, it's not right. Just, it doesn't seem right because it's not right. You're right. You got Drew Sutton out there playing right field, and he's played three games in his whole major league career. And I'm really surprised, actually. <laughs> Pirate fans who are pretty, pretty forgiving and root, root for the home team, guys were out there heckling him, I guess, in a big way to the point where somebody got thrown out of the game. Really? Uh, they were really bashing the own guys. So that kind of surprised me. It's not exactly, hey, welcome to Pittsburgh, Drew. He said yeah, that that tweet he sent out uh, after the game was funny to uh, to yeah, Pat, Pat Lackey. Oh, oh boy, Pat didn't feel so good about that either. Yeah, that said that said you know please forgive me I've only done this for three games <laughs> or something like that. You kind of feel for him. I'm kind of rooting for him at this point, but yeah, not not a right fielder. Yeah. So well, let me ask you this. I mean, rather than really think about how they're going to break down the playing time specifically, one is you know batting average on balls in play in July is something like 430 here for the first five games. Mm. You know, we've talked about the OPS of McGee, Jones, and McHenry. Is, uh, McHenry, who's now morphed into Johnny Bench somehow. Yeah. Uh, these guys, their OPS is all over 900 since June 1st. And, and McGee's was 520 in up until that point in time. I mean, what is, what, do we, should we just assume it's going to be the middle the rest of the way? Is that the assumption to make? These guys are all going to OPS 750. Uh, they're going to OPS. They're all. They're all going to OPS 750. That would be kind of great, I think. Actually, well, they've been uh, OPSing 900 over 900 for a month, a little over a month now. I mean, 750 is kind of. I mean, I guess you look at McGee and you say he's a he's a 720 guy, and you say Jones is an he could be an 800 guy if things go great. And McHenry's a 660 guy. And you just roll them together and say, okay, 750. I, that would be. I, yeah, I think that sounds optimistic to me. I mean, usually when. The thing about what the Pirates offense is doing right now is that it's hard to explain. The, the The first two months are hard to explain. The last month is hard to explain. And when I encounter things that are hard to explain, my usual inclination with baseball is to just look at the t- totality of the situation. The Pirates offense so far this year has 695 OPS. They are 13th in the, the league in OPS, 12th in the league, uh, in the National League in, in runs scored. I think the, the, the best way to look at it right now is that it's, it's nowhere near the, the great offense it's been for a month. It's probably also nowhere near the terrible, terrible offense it was for the first two months. What it is is, you know, a below average offense. And I think if, you know, we talked about it before the season and we said, hey, in July, the Pirates are going to be 12th in the National League and run scored and 13th in OPS, you and I would have been like, yep, yeah, that's pretty much how it's going to be. Yeah, I gotta say that's exactly right. That's probably the right perspective. Uh, and so, you know, you know, you, you sometimes laugh at me about uh, some of the, oh, by the way, you did, I, I got to say, I meant to open up with this, that, you know, you were killing me on Twitter for saying that, that Gorky's <laughs> A shouldn't be platoon for Kutch. And I got to say, I didn't know whether I should be more embarrassed for you or for oh, me. Oh, no. Or for oh, me. No. Because you, you had to bring that up. 
<laughs> because one is that you took it seriously. Oh my! So oh. you think that that I'm a complete moron, <laughs> or two, man? You need to drink more coffee. When you... I don't, I don't remember what time. What time of day was that? I don't even. It was, it was eleven or so. Oh, I mean, eleven at night or eleven in the morning. In the morning. <laughs> oh, that yeah. See, I probably just woke up. I, I mean, whatever it was, my Twitter feed was just filled with insanity that day, and I can't, I can't remember why. And it, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I'm, an idiot. I'm an idiot. See, You're not an idiot. For those of you who didn't see it, I had <laughs> tweeted that Gorky's is hitting. Uh, you know, he was hitting 430, you know, 400 against lefties or something crazy down in, in Indianapolis. And I said that, you know, even though, the, you know, he's hitting so great against lefties, that's probably not reason enough to, to plat- you know, I don't think they should have platoon him, have a straight platoon with, with Kutch. And, uh, and Charlie responded, that's the only reason <laughs> in a very serious tone. So he thought maybe I was thinking that they should platoon Corky's and Kutch, which, yeah, wow, I, I didn't know, really know how to respond to that. I mean, this is the thing about Twitter. You can write things without thinking about them at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, then I, then I gave you the Drew Sutton MVP uh, argument that his MPS <laughs> was one point higher than Kutch. Of course, he's not in the starting lineup. And then I get the reprieve that uh, Pedro's out, going to stay out another game. Sutton goes in there. And, of course, as everybody knows, my MVP boy knocked it out in the bottom of the night to win the game. So I feel like I'm up 2 nothing on Twitter lately. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is why I don't use Twitter very much. All right. So let's get back to the uh, let's get back to the other side of things and the staff, because we've seen the staff kind of uh, certainly separate itself a little bit in terms of McDonald and A.J. And A.J. wasn't as good as last time out. And to be honest with you, McDonald wasn't as good as last two times out. He got wins in both games, but probably didn't have the command and dominating stuff that he's shown earlier. We've seen kind of mixed stuff from uh, from Eric Bedard. He's been on again, off again. Uh, our, our comments about Correa are, you know, he continues to kind of defy gravity, in my opinion. He goes out there and he pitches well enough to keep the Pirates in games. His peripherals, again, I think he struck out seven last game. That was the outlier. He struck out the first batter yesterday and then didn't have another strikeout. He went six innings, uh, didn't give up a lot of runs, and, and the Pirates win the game. And then you have Karstens, who, uh, you know, his stuff's better than Correa. Uh, he knows how, seems to know how to manage games. I think he's going to be in the rotation. But these guys in Indianapolis are starting to put together more good starts. And for the first time, Charlie, really for the first time ever, I'm starting to lean that maybe one of these guys in Indianapolis is going to be the guy since I think Lincoln is now locked into the bullpen. But I'll tell you, I'm not sure which one. Where are you, where are you leaning right now? Who, who's who's your, your key guy right now? I'm not leaning to Jeff Locke. Let's put it that way. And I, this, this probably isn't fair to this Jeff. Is because of last year? Yeah, but I'm, it's probably not fair because that's what it's based on. So I haven't watched these guys pitch this year. But I guess if Justin Wilson, if there's a sense that his command is good enough, he would be my first choice. We know Rudy, Rudy Owens is all about command, and I think he'd be my second choice. But I just feel like Locke and Owens have the, have the potential to be getting bombed up here. I, well, yeah, I think I think all three of them do in in different ways, but it's definitely something we need to think about. I mean, Wilson's the guy who, if you know, he continues to show good command, that would be very exciting development because he has a lot more upside than the other two, and uh, you know, because uh, you know, just pitchers of of Rudy Owens type don't really excite me in terms of their ability to to continue to get batters out in the majors. Wilson has had three. Pretty decent starts in a row. In his last three starts, um, he has 20 strikeouts, five walks. I mean, if he can do, 
you know anything like that obviously he's he's he has he can be an asset in in a major league rotation but you probably you might say that there are the same concerns about him that you know he he might be sort of Brad Lincoln like and that he doesn't really last in the rotation in the big leagues but turns out to be a good reliever due to his command and his velocity out of the pen uh, let me just ask you a quick question on Brad Lincoln. Next year, just looking ahead when you think about things, you go to spring training, you're going to give Brad Lincoln a chance to win the rot- a rotation spot again, right? I, I would hope that they would bring in some people such that that's not really necessary. Well, we're going to have, they're going to have AJ, they're going to have I know. Jay. Let's assume that Karstens comes back on a deal. Charlie Morton's a, a coin flip. You're going to have all three guys from Indy. That gives you six with, I think, Morton's up. I, I, I give, you know... I think you know what you have now for, with Brad Lincoln out of the bullpen. And we're going to see a couple more months of it. But when we go to spring training, I'm going to give him another chance to win that job. Unless, of course, uh, you have moved Hanrahan or, and or Grilly and you've just deemed it that he's your guy. Right. But I, I don't think you I, I mean, I don't think you feel very good about it if you end up giving him another shot out of the, the rotation. I mean, you're, you're you know, passing on an area in which he, you, he's shown he can be a big time asset. For you know a situation where you know the numbers really aren't in his favor, the you know the watch it test really is not in his favor. Probably what we're going to see is is the Pirates bring in at least one veteran starter next year, um, perhaps two, and if they do, maybe we can get through spring training without without considering that. Uh, okay, so but back to these guys, and let's let's broaden this conversation to the trade deadline. Where do the, where? You and I discussed before we started the podcast, it's July 5th right now. The Pirates are going to play about 20 games from here to there. It would have to be a, a unbelievable collapse for them not to be in contention. So let's just make the assumption they're going to be in contention. Even yeah. if they were to go 7-13, and 13, they're going to be in contention for a wild card spot. Where are you looking at the deadline? It's tough, given, given the sort of shifting dynamics in terms of how people are playing. And also... You know they have like a bunch of conceivable areas of need they that they could turn to, which is which is good actually. It gives them a lot of flexibility. Uh, I think corner outfield has to be a consideration. I think Alex Presley does not look like an answer there. If they can get a shortstop, that's a possibility as well. I think they could look at the bullpen, and I think that they can they can look at the bullpen to they can upgrade the bullpen and upgrade another area because it's generally not very expensive to upgrade upgrade the bullpen at the trading deadline. Um, so they can they can do that, and you know honestly they could they could use a starting pitcher at this point. So, you know really any area of the team you could point to and and say that 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 would make sense. Are you are you thinking are you thinking offense? Or are you thinking pitching? Well, interesting stuff today. Kevin Goldstein said no hitting's available, and you look around and they're not yeah, a lot. It's more of, of a pitching stuff. market. But um, but the answer is I think they need hitting. I look, I'd I'd roll the dice a little bit with some of the younger guys unless they can go get Matt Garza. And I want to be on record right now, July fifth, as saying if they could get Matt Garza, uh, I would trade. You know, I would trade Rudy Owens and Justin Wilson and somebody else for Matt Garza, and he's under contract next year at a big number. I think it's thirteen million. But you get him for this year and you get him for next year, and it means the front three of your rotation next year is Garza, you know, McDonald and Burnett. And I'm willing to I'm willing to give up on on the you know two of those young starting pitchers and another guy if that's going to do it for the Cubs. Now Theo's maybe maybe Theo laughs at that, maybe I, not. Yeah, I don't think he likes that deal very much. Okay, so you know let's just uh, assuming assuming the cost is not uh, one of the three big pitchers or or Bell. Um, I'm pretty much game. You know I'd probably include Alan Hansen who just got named a top forty prospect in BA's 
uh, in Baseball America this afternoon, the 40th best prospect at midseason here. So I would include Alan Hansen in a deal. Uh, you know, I, Josh Bell probably not the guy that you'd include since he's been hurt and whatever. But whatever the deal is, the guy I want is Matt Garza if we're going to go get a pitcher. I don't really see the Granky Hamels, even Dempster, uh, who's probably slightly lower in cost. I don't see it for those guys. So Because, uh, because they're going to be free agents? Is that why? Yeah, mentals. And I don't know. I mean, if a team will take... Uh, if a team, I, I, you know, I think we're going to get outbid for them. I think that we, as in the Pirates, would get outbid for them probably pretty aggressively. The market's going to be very high. Uh, if they could get them for, you know, two of those guys in Altoona, in Indianapolis, sure, I'd do it. But I, I don't think that's going to do the trick either. So uh, I'm a little bit fatalistic about the whole thing, Charlie. Honestly, I don't think the Pirates are going to see a deal. You know, uh, Ryan Ludwig type, sure, that might be available. Carlos Lee type, that's probably available too. Uh, and if, if you could find exactly that, I think you could you'd go get him. But a Willingham, you've got seven million for each of the next two years after this one. I don't know that that fits exactly the Pirates' plan. I think they don't want to give up on Presley and Tabata, and you've got Marte. So when you think about guys who have contracts, I think it's it's a tougher thing. So we'll see when we get closer to the deadline exactly who's available. But I, I'm going in fatalistic from this point of view. But let me flip it back at you and say. Would you consider, even in contention, moving Grilly or Hanrahan? And B, part B to this question, are you at all worried about Joel Hanrahan? Because his velocity was down these past two games. Grilly has been just – their numbers, uh, and I think David Mandel put this up on on, uh, on Twitter, their numbers going into this Houston series were identical, literally to the point of having pitched two, two or a third of an inning different, same hits, same earned runs, same home runs. Their whip was .03 different. It was shocking, but Grilly had like 15 or 17 more strikeouts. And again, you know, Grilly was excellent the past two days. Hanrahan – you know, he gave up the home run, but he got the job done. Yeah, he gave up, you know, the run and then the home run, but he got the job done yesterday. But his stuff hasn't looked as good to me. Is that a concern for you? Yeah, it's a concern, absolutely. I would I would definitely consider moving Hanrahan or Grilly for the right price. And, you know, I think Neil Huntington pretty much has to be open open to that. Is, it, might, do, do, is the fan base at all open to that? Or, of course not. Is there, No, I mean... The, what I'm envisioning them doing if they were to trade Hanrahan, for example, is to get a young position player who can who could step in right away and be with the team for several years. Um, they're probably not going to get somebody with a long track record because that kind of team wouldn't want somebody like Hanrahan. So if they do trade him, the fan base probably would not understand it, but I don't think Neil Huntington really cares. I heard a great line, and I think it was actually on uh, one of the uh... – I'm not sure who threw it out there, but he said, Neil Huntington is fantastically tone deaf to the fan base. <laughs> and I thought that was, you know, I thought that was well said. I mean, his job is to put a winning product on the field and he can't listen to you, me or anybody else who might be there out there shouting for this or that. Uh, I'm not sure changes that, you know, we suggested early in the season would have been better or worse. It's hard to imagine things would be better than they are now. So, you know, kudos where kudos are due. This team is playing great baseball. But I do think they even, no matter how good things are, they got to look at moving hand or hand. Uh, I don't think they'll do it. Uh, I think they'll, they'll certainly look to do it in the offseason because he's going to cost $7 million. He's at 4.1 now and he's going to get a raise. So it's going to be 6 or $7 million. And I don't think you want to tie it up. Maybe you do. Well, maybe you roll the dice one more year, but then you're going to get nothing for him. So, it, you know, these trade deadline discussions are going to be interesting. Jim Bowden on ESPN Insider had an article, the top 10 guys who were available. You just look at them, where he thought they might go and the prices 
that they were going to extract. And it's, you know, it's cringeworthy. If you don't want to give up one of your top six guys, one of the Pirates' top six or seven prospects, they don't have a lot to offer. That's the problem. That's the problem. And, you know, they, they have these top six prospects who are very good prospects and who they should, you know, be very reluctant to move. But if you decide that these guys are off limits, then your, your flexibility is basically limited to how much money you're willing to take on in terms of someone's contract. Because there, there just isn't a lot that's going to appeal to people in terms of, in terms of the prospects that are available. So, so that's going to be tough. I'm not sure that, that trading Joel Hanrahan is the way to, to fix that problem necessarily. But uh, the, the reason you trade him is because the, the market is going to be really favorable or something like that. And also because of, of the salary concerns you mentioned, I don't think he's the same pitcher he was last year. His stuff, as you mentioned, is not nearly as dominant. How hard was he throwing yesterday, like 95? I think Yeah, he was, he was 95. The night before, he was, he was 93 to 95. And, you know, kind of the last batter he went, I think he touched, uh, maybe touched 96 once. But... You know, down from, you know, last year was 97 to 99. He sat 97 last year at his outings, and he's kind of sitting 94, 95. And I don't know that that's that big a deal when his slider's on. But the pitch that he got beat on on Tuesday night was I really actually had to go to – I went to the uh, pitch FX to look because, to me, it looked like a straight change. It was a slider on the outside corner that didn't bite at all. And, you know, the location was okay. The hitter did a good job pulling it down down the first base line. And everybody complained, I think, rightly slow, slow, so about the Pirates' defensive positioning on that. You don't need to stand on the frickin' line. You can stand two steps off the line and still get to the line. And it cost him there. But, yeah, I, I don't know about uh, Hanny. Maybe, you know, he's not overused. He's pitched 32 innings. So I don't, I, I don't think that's the answer. Yeah, it's not that he's been bad. But, yeah, five, five homers already this year versus one for all of last year. Velocity's not quite there. He's probably making you know, a fair bit more mistakes than he was last year as well. Uh, right. And and obviously they're not going to flip roles of Grilly and Anderhead, but le- would you trade Grilly? I mean, let me ask you this. Would you trade either of those guys if you got a top flight prospect, but it wasn't going to help you this year? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would. But that's that's a tough one. The, the you know, the good thing, I guess not good, but the, the thing about this dilemma is that nobody's really going to offer a top flight prospect for, for Grilly, I don't think. You know, it's it's going to be hard for really to command the the value on the trade market that he's worth to the Pirates right now because he's been so dominant. He's been really the key to this year's bullpen. And uh, aside from last year's trading market, people don't really tend to flip out over middle relievers. So, or, you but, know, yeah, relievers aren't closers aside anyway. Aside from last year's trade market, and you know, maybe maybe the you know the stars align again. It'd be interesting because. If Lincoln continues to show that he can do what he can do, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe you're right. I mean, who, who, who knows? But I doubt I see that happening, uh, and it, it would, it would really, it would make my brain hurt if it did. Yep. So here we go. Here, you know, here we are, July fifth. The Pirates going to make the playoffs, Charlie? I, I still, I still say no. Uh, baseball prospectus is third order win percentage, which looks at not only runs scored and runs allowed, but the com- the components thereof. You know how many total bases you give up, how many total bases you accumulate. Uh, sees the Pirates as a uh, 485 uh, win percentage type of team. I think the Cardinals are a very legitimate team. I think the Reds are also pretty good. And you know, given all that's going to be happening with with the wild cards, I think it's going to be tough. But, you know, at this point, 
you know, at the at, in the offseason, I was saying that there was, you know, really not much of a chance of the Pirates even contending. And I mean, plainly, they look like they're going to be contenders. And, yep. you know, if you look like you're going to be a contender in, in July, you never know what's going to happen. And so they've, I, you know, they've definitely got a shot. Yeah. And the, just to follow on the numbers you threw out there, the baseball perspectives playoff percentage right now, the Pirates at 35%. Now they're seven day delta is 23.6%. So that's changed dramatically in the past week. And we talked about uh, this road trip, that, or this uh, this string of 14 games the Pirates are going to go on, and it was seven on the road, then seven at home. And I said eight and six would be good. Eight and six would be good. And, they, and that was after they lost those, uh, after they had, they had lost that first game in uh, in Philadelphia. They come back, the big important games, it seems like in hindsight, they won the last two. They win two out of three in Philly, so they came, came home four and three. Now they're seven and three. Uh, you look to pound the Astros again, but uh, Bud Norris is tough, as you said. So let's just throw out they lose tonight. That's eight and four. If they can take two against the Giants, uh, you know, you go into the break here with two, you know, still nine over. It's awfully good. I, I think it's funny that we're so not used to them being over 500 that when they get over 500, we lose perspective on, you know, what exactly their record is, I think. And, you know, the thing right now is that they're not just over 500. They're way over 500. Yeah. I, I mean, they've just left it in the dust at this point. So you, if, you can, if you can maintain that to the All-Star break, we look at the, the schedule after the break. We have a Brewers team that has not been very good than the, the Rockies who are – Although all, a little better of late. Yeah, that's, that's true, better, better recently. And the, the Rockies with all their pitching problems, then three games against the Marlins, and then all kinds of games against the Cubs and Astros – it would be foolish at this point to say that the Pirates are not going to finish over 500 this year, I think. Yeah, well, you know, as you said, you know, right now we're halfway nine over, so you're going to have to play exactly the opposite baseball to be 500. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think the season is over 500. I, at this point, I'd, I'd still bet against the playoffs. Uh, I, you know, I'd like to see some good, a little bit better pitching from the starters here. I, again, from day one, I've said I love this bullpen. They continue to be really good. Uh, and then the playing time, I think, needs to sort itself out. I'd love to see the moves today. I'd love to see Jeff Clement come up, uh, Eric Fryer go down. I'd love to see him do some things. Let me ask you two more questions. Are, are, how, how would you – people are running wild on the Pirates, and, and that doesn't seem to matter who's behind the plate. It certainly somewhat matters who's on the mound. But how would you divide the playing time with the catchers here down the stretch with McHenry being as hot as he's been? That's a tough one. Um, McHenry has a long track record that that suggests he's you know he can hit fine for a backup catcher, but I don't think very much more than that. Well, I don't know that he is. I think he has a track record that says for one month he can hit well for a backup catcher. Oh, I'm talking about his minor league, what he did in the minor leagues and 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 stuff like that. Okay. Uh, but I think that you know McHenry can be around for several years, and he's giving the Pirates a good a really good shot to win now. Barajas is probably going to be gone next year. And I, I think at this point you, you, you have to look at it as more of a job share than anything else. Um, split the time evenly b- between them or even give McHenry even a little bit more time than, than Barajas. I wouldn't have any problem with that at all. What do you think? Uh, I, I would have thought at the beginning of the season Barajas would be gone next year, but the Pirates don't have a starting catcher, and there's not one clearly apparent in the system. It's not going to be Tony Sanchez next year. So he's got a cheap option. I think he goes from $4 million this year to $3.5 million next year. So uh, I wouldn't rule out him being back, but I think I'd probably start right now. I'd be going Barajas four days a week and McHenry three days a week. So, I, I'm, I'd, yeah, I'd give him an extra start than I think what he's been getting up to this point. 
the second question is, and you know, this is a wild card, but do you think we see Jose Tabata in Pittsburgh again this year, or at least before September? I think I think we yeah I think we do. Um, the the Pirates outfield situation is in flux. Um, I think he's still one of their more talented players. It's just hard to tell what's what's going on with him. You know, there's a question of of whether he's trying. You know, whether it's effort. I think Clint Hurdle said something the other day about you know the mistakes he's making. They're not effort. They're him not being sure of himself. And who who knows? We can only really speculate on on what the deal there is. But I think that you know the there's there is a problem for some people in sports of getting your body to match what you think you know like that that the the problem of of effort is a more complex one than i think a lot of fans realize like when i when i played i i played a lot of basketball when i was a kid and when i you know i was in seventh and eighth grade i sort of ran into this wall where people would throw passes right to me and i i couldn't catch them um (laughs) you know it's it's weird and you know, it's it's a sort of a complex psychological thing, and it, it kind of what's going on with Tabata right now kind of reminds me of Ronnie Paulino a little bit, and Paulino kind of got got hounded with questions about his effort, and he finally said at one point, you know, something like, "If people feel I am not trying hard enough, maybe I'm not," or something, and I and I took that to mean something like that he was just confused about you know, that he felt he was trying hard, but it didn't for some reason look like that because there was just some kind of psychological block going on there. So I think whatever whatever is going on with Habita, it's possible that it's more complex than we realize. But I think either way, we're, we're going to see him back at some point. All right, fair enough. Remember to listen to Charlie and me on 970 ESPN. He'll be on tomorrow. I'll be on four to seven both days. And we'll certainly do something over the break. But Charlie, great first half. You want to close this out? Thanks for listening to the Bucks Dugout podcast. Um, you can follow David on Twitter at DT on Pirates. Follow me, t- me on Twitter at Bucks Dugout. And thanks for listening.